listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. Good morning. So good to see you here today. Um, as we do each week, we want to highlight some of the stuff, the things that God is doing in our midst and give you thanks and remind ourselves of that partnership to, uh, to be together supporting the work that God does here. Uh, you know, Christmas Eve is always one of my favorite times of the year. And um, I love that we get to do uh, a mission focus at, at that offering. And I mentioned it last week, but I wanted to just thank you again because uh, over $35,000 was given Christmas Eve that goes to our mission partners. Uh, and, and, you know, we, if you don't know this, we have folks serving all around the globe that we're in partnership with um, in Africa, in South America, Central America, on college campuses, right around our community, helping at-risk students with after-school programs and all sorts of things. And uh, we couldn't do that without your faithfulness and your generosity. And I just wanna thank you for that. And uh, thank you for, as we move into the new year, the ways that you continue to do God's work through that. Um, As a reminder, wherever you are, you can give in multiple ways, online, by text, or by mail. Um, If you're here in person worshiping with us, there are boxes at the exits as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the ways that you have generously blessed us, for the ways that you have provided for our needs, for the ways that you call us to be broken open and given to the world. And so God, we consecrate ourselves to you. We lay down our rights, our ambitions, and and we put them at your feet. And Lord, we say, use us. Use us in this new year to be a blessing to our world, to be a blessing to our community, that things would be different because your people live here, because your spirit is at work here. And so God, equip us, fill us with your spirit, send us forth, Use our whole lives, all that we are, all that we have. Together as a community, we seek, Lord, to be a part of what you're blessing, what you're doing. And God, we pray that you would use us for that purpose in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand for our scripture reading this morning? We have been studying the last couple of weeks the story of the fish and the loaves, and this morning we'll study from the account in the Gospel of Luke at chapter 9. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. And he replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, your word reminds us as the rain and snow come down from heaven, do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is your word that goes out from your mouth, not to return to you empty, but to accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. God, you've given us your word this morning and we pray for the purpose from which you sent it. We pray for the season of life that each one of us finds ourselves in, a season of joy and celebration, a season of peace and comfort, a season of sickness and a need for healing, a season of confusion or anxiety. Lord, we do not walk alone in any season. And so we pray, Father, your spirit and your voice be with us this morning. That the message that you have given your servant Ray today would meet us in this place and in your perfect purpose for us. Lord, let this be our prayer as we pray together the way that you taught your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated.
Right, well, um, you know, Kelly kicked the surface off. I asked her, I think, did she say we're gonna put football away <laughs> and focus on the Lord? Is that what you meant? So, we, you know, we, we, we put the sermons together. I thought it was ironic that she did that because we put the sermons together. And of course, I had to slide something into the intro today that she didn't know. So I'm gonna start with football, if that's okay. <laughs> Is that okay? Kelly, do you have your permission? Because anybody, anybody happy about the Texans? We got, I can see the Cowboy fans scowling at me like with a little arrogance, like we're still better. Um, we'll see about that. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's something, sports brings a community together, doesn't it? And, uh, and, and brings our city together. Um, and and there's, a, there's a story that I just keep thinking about. And, and there's a little bit of a leap in this story. It's not a perfect analogy, it breaks down, but I think, I think you'll get my point by the end of the message today, okay? So if you don't like this, if it's too much of a stretch, you can email me at luis.palomo at foundrychurch.org. Um, but, you know, last season, the Texans had a horrible season um, and went three and 13 and one, I think, was their record, something like that. And we're like right at the, you know, there, there's the competition for the playoffs every year, but then there's also the competition for the first, the first draft pick of the next year because the, te- the worst team in the league gets the first draft pick, gets, the, gets to pick the player of their choice coming out of college. And if you remember last year, there was a lot of uh, uh, speculation the last game of the season Lovey Smith, Lovey Smith was the coach and has a long career as a good coach and, and everybody was wondering whether the Texans would like intentionally lose their last game so that they could have the first pick. Remember this? And Lovey Smith refused to do that. They won their last game and the outcry was crazy and Lovey Smith got fired. Because Lovey Smith and the, and the Texans won the last game of the year last year, they had to pick second, and they chose C.J. Stroud. So, sometimes things work out a little differently than we thought, because C.J. Stroud's gone on to have one of the most amazing rookie seasons ever. Now, it is a stretch, because listen, I know God doesn't have a favorite football team, Okay. Um, I'm not saying God orchestrated all of that. But what I do know is that in life, sometimes the things that seem difficult, hard, you know, unexpected, confusing, that don't seem to make sense, you know, when it seems all is going wrong, sometimes, sometimes God actually uses those things and turns them around for his good. Not in ways that are, that are pleasant for us all the time. I mean, didn't really turn out great for Lovey Smith, you know, with his job. Um, but that brokenness in life can often lead to flourishing and blessing. And this is one of the things I think we wrestle with as human beings, like what is God involved? How is God involved in the day-to-day life? And how is God involved when difficult things happen and and when we're broken and when we're hurt and when we're struggling or we have questions? How do we make sense of all of this? 
And so over the, the last few weeks, we've been looking at this pattern instituted by Jesus. And we see it when we remember the Lord's Supper, we, we, we do, we replay this. Because uh, he did it at the Passover meal as well. But there's this miracle in the middle of the Gospels. And, the, and, and this miracle is in all four of the Gospels, okay? Not every miracle is in every Gospel. There are four different accounts, four different eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, his ministry, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. We have four different accounts, four different perspectives. And each one is writing to a distinct audience, each one is writing with specific intentions in mind. They all saw the same things from different angles. They, they share them with a little bit different emphasis in some ways. Uh, but anytime that there is a, a story, especially a miracle, that we find in all four of the Gospels, in my opinion, we should pay attention. We should pay attention to all of them. But there's something significant if all four authors included this. It's central. And this story is central to Jesus' ministry, his teaching, and his identity, and what he's going to ultimately do. It's the miracle of, of the feeding of the, we call it the feeding of the 5,000, the breads and the, the, the loaves and fishes. Um, but Jesus takes he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. This is the pattern that we've been looking at. And this quote by Henry Nowen that we've shared a couple of weeks now, it really just resonated with me when I heard this. And I, and I hope that you uh, might hold on to this and might remember this because it can help us in situations in life where, where we're trying to make sense of what God's uh, final plan is. Henry Nowen says, to be taken, to be blessed, to be broken and to be given is a summary of the life of Jesus who was taken, blessed by God, broken on the cross, and given to the world. It is also a summary of our lives because as followers of Jesus, we want to be like Jesus, and we are chosen and blessed by God as he was. We are broken, and we have been given as gifts to the world. And so your life, friends... Jesus invites your life to be a blessing to the world. Amen. And being a blessing to the world, friends, is not, is not about a perfect life. It's not about a trouble-free life. It's not about a painless life. It's not about a life without twists and turns and heartache and struggle and sometimes failure and sometimes ridicule or persecution. All of these things God can use for good, if we trust him. We see this pattern of Jesus doing this in the feeding of the 5,000. The story is in all of the gospels. We looked at Matthew's gospel. We looked at Mark's gospel. Today, we're gonna look at both uh, Luke and John's gospel a little bit together. So Jesus has become, just as a review, if, you, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, or it's good for us to review, uh, Jesus had become very well known. He was winning people um, with the popularity polls were rising. Crowds were coming. He was performing all these miracles. And, you know, I, I, we talked last week about how he was, uh, you know, going across the lake because John, his cousin, had been killed and 
He wanted to go pray, rest, grieve, you know, spend some time on his own. And so he goes across the Sea of Galilee. Now, friends, when you visit the Holy Land, you realize the Sea of Galilee is not like the Gulf of Mexico. It's more like Lake Conroe. Okay, you can see right across the lake, the Sea of Galilee. You can see, and, and there's elevation on either side too, so you can see even, even more so. So if Jesus and, his, if Jesus and 11, or, or Jesus and 12 other guys are traveling on a boat across the Sea of Galilee, it's not like they're hiding from the people. The people know and can see where they're going and they run around, the, and apparently they could run around the shore and beat them to the other side because they get there and Jesus lands the boat. I always wonder how many times Jesus rolled his eyes, you know, what little sarcastic moments he had. Um, but clearly the crowds are following them because they wanna see what Jesus is gonna do next because they have their own problems and troubles and they wanna see what Jesus can do for them, how he'll bless them, how he'll heal them. And so Jesus takes this moment because they're, they're away from the, they, they take the crowds away into a remote area and, and, and he's teaching uh, for several days and the people are becoming hungry and the disciples are concocting all of these strategies for how to take care of the situation. You know, the executive team's doing what an executive team does to manage was a difficult situation. They're coming up with a strategy and Jesus has a whole together different strategy. Uh, but there's some interplay and in fact, I think it's really important for us to understand the story from the perspective of the disciples. Maybe one of the lessons we need to learn is is when we put ourselves in the place of the disciples and how they respond to the situation and what Jesus teaches them because clearly Jesus uses this as a teaching example for them. This wasn't just about feeding the hungry people. This was about the disciples learning, understanding who Jesus was and what he would do for them, yes, but in them and through them even more. That one day when he was gone, how are they going to respond to situations where there seemed to be less resource, less of what they needed for the job at hand? When their mission was before them and they were afraid, what would they do? And I wonder how many times they replayed this story. Remember what Jesus did in that situation? And so it says, it was getting late in Luke 9. It says, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are, we are in, this, this, in a remote place here. Um, now, again, interestingly, all of the gospels have a little different flavor, angle, Okay, so if you really pay attention to the Gospels, at some point you'll probably run up against some things you're like, huh, that's, that's a little different in Matthew than it is in Luke or especially John. John's a very unique from the other three. And, and I would just say, don't let that trouble you because the four accounts, um, it, it's kind of like the best, the best way that I know to, to say this. Luis and I were talking about this this week um, and we both had similar situations. But I remember as a kid, um, you know, I was the oldest of three kids growing up and, um, my brother was five years, is five years younger than me. In fact, um, I, I, over the, right after Christmas, the week after Christmas, I got to go do my brother, my brother's wedding. My brother's 43 and, uh, never been married. 
And, uh, and so um, I never, I never I, he's a computer guy, you know, he, he, he would rather not have, I know, we're a lot different. Um, he, he would rather not be around people a whole lot. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was just a joy to do his wedding, um, but it brought back a lot of memories of, you know, being a kid and being the older of five, our relation, uh, the older of three, but five years older than him, our relationship was, uh, you know, uh, it was one of like, you know, I could get away with things um, until he told my mom, <laughs> right? And, and I could, I remember he, he kind of figured out being five years younger um, that he wasn't, you know, if there was a wrestling match, he wasn't gonna win it. Um, unless he could convince my mom that I was doing something awful to him, right? Anybody have this experience? Maybe you were the younger, I don't know. But like, we would be just kind of, he'd be annoying me like any little brother does, and I would just like pin him down and hold him down, and I didn't hurt him. <laughs> but he would like just start screaming bloody murder to my mom. And just telling her all the horrible things that I did to him. And she would, you know, whop me over the head. Big brother would get it. Until one day she caught him. And she realized what he was doing. That he was blowing it out of proportion. Because he was, okay? Y'all didn't believe me when I said that. <laughs> um, but part of the reason I think she realized it is because, you, you know, there was a third party. My sister, Heather. It was in the middle of us. Um, and isn't that true as a parent? If you have two kids that are kind of going at it and fighting and arguing and there was an event and you weren't in the room and you didn't see it and you're trying to get the account and you pull one aside and you ask them and you pull the other aside and you ask them, then you get like a different, it's not the totally different story, but it is a different story, right? And so if you have a third Neutral party, it helps a lot. Now, the, the reality is all three of the stories are probably true. And all three of the stories are told from a little different angle and different points are emphasized. Maybe even exaggerated a little bit, okay? Now, I'm not saying, you can't take all of sibling rivalry and apply it to the Bible, but I think you get my point when we talk about four different accounts of what happened, there's some emphasis in different areas. And one of, the, one of the things that's really interesting here that John does, I wanna jump over to John for a second, John's gospel, when he talks about this incident. John says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, now John identifies who he talks to, the other gospels don't point Philip out. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat. You notice the difference? In this story, which is interesting, Matthew and Mark were with Jesus, they were to the disciples. And in their accounts, Jesus, the, the disciples initiate the conversation with Jesus. You know, they're the executive team going to Jesus like, what are we gonna do? And in John's account, it's interesting because Jesus looks at Philip and says, you know, what are we gonna do? There's all these people. Where are we gonna get bread? He asked this, it says, John says, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do to him. 
So in John's gospel, he's emphasizing this part that Jesus knew exactly what was gonna happen. And Jesus used it as a teaching opportunity to teach the disciples something. He was testing them. Not testing him to see if he could break them, but testing, him, testing them because he knew that they would need to hold on to these lessons later in life that he was gonna teach them. And so Philip answered him, it would take more than a half, year, a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have even a bite. In other words, Jesus, I don't, Philip's saying, I don't really think you understand the circumstance, what you're asking. This is a ridiculous question, Jesus. I don't know, maybe, maybe we give Philip a little bit of credit because maybe Philip had seen Jesus do enough things that he's like prodding him a little bit, right? You understand what you're saying, Jesus? You know what that would take? Um, and all the other disciples they must have been close by because another of his disciples, it says in verse eight, another of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Now, again, we can't really tell what, and I would love I would love to have seen the interaction because we can't really tell for sure what Andrew's attitude, whether he's being sarcastic, if he's actually trying to be helpful. You know, did he, did he take the little boy's lunch? Like, I want to know. Like, did he ask? Like, I don't know. Um, but I'm pretty sure they were all kind of uttering the same thing under their breath in one way or another. How far is this actually? What, is the, what difference is it going to make, Jesus? This is ridiculous exercise. Um, if we go back to um, if we go back to Luke's gospel, so I want to just play with the two of them a little bit. Turning back to Luke's gospel in verse thirteen, Jesus replies, "You give them something to eat." And they answered, "We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all the crowd." About five thousand men were then there, and Jesus had everyone sit down in groups. He takes the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And we had given them to the disciples and, and he gave them to the disciples to the, distribute to the people. I think when we read this story, if, we, if we're really inquisitive, we ask questions, like a lot of questions about how Jesus does this. We can ask a lot of questions like, you know, did Jesus, did it ever occur to you like, did Jesus break the bread, give it to the disciples, and then come back to the basket and miraculously there was more bread in the basket you know, the disciples scurried off to give out what they had and they came back, we're done, and he's like, no, I got more. Or did the disciples take what they had and go, and they had, you know, their basket of bread and they go to the first group of people and they break the bread and hand it to the people and then, whoa, there's more here. 
Or we're talking about groups of 50 and 100, like thousands of people. Or did the disciples break the bread, hand it to the people, and then the people break the bread and hand it to their neighbor, and as they continue to break the bread miraculously, you know what I'm saying? Like, we just take the story for granted most of the time, but if we really ask ourselves, this is incredible what happens, but also it's incredibly vague how it happens in all four gospels. We don't know. And if in all four accounts it's that vague, I think it's intentional. (laughs) I don't think God wants us to know. I don't think that's the point. You see, when, when there's not enough or when things don't make sense, a lot of times we're gonna turn to how questions. And in this story, we don't really know how. We just know that. God provides. God multiplies. God in the flesh breaks, blesses, and gives. And there is enough. There is enough. There is more than enough. But there's room for doubt, there's room for questions, there's room for wrestling, there's, there's room to, to do all of these things. But I think if we focus too much on how, we will end up frustrated, we'll end up frustrated and we might miss the point. The point is not how, the point is that God will provide. So, remember this, Jesus takes Jesus blesses, Jesus breaks, and Jesus gives. This is the point. And in this, we have a model for for how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We have a model for how God tends to work through our lives. We have a model for how he teaches the disciples. Those, you know, I wonder sometimes if Jesus looked around and said, Father, could we do, have a little redo on the 12 that you, you know, assigned here to me? Um, They're certainly more talented, experienced people that we might be able to use if the mission's gonna succeed. But God uses the same old, same old. God uses what seems to be ordinary. And if you're walking into the new year thinking that maybe, maybe you know, this is, the, this is the new year, this is the new you, this is gonna be a new day, things are gonna be different, and there's, there's some change that we desire, we desire to, to be better, to be improved, all of these things. If you're thinking that that's coming from out there, friends, more than likely you're missing it. Because what God does is when we, when we have a chance to step across a threshold and, and New Year's Day, it's just another day on the calendar, but it does bring this sense of newness. And those opportunities is really all they are to look back and to consider maybe some of the ways that we haven't lived for what really mattered. 
to look forward and, and to, to dream about what God might want to do in the new year. But I think the problem is, is when we believe that the only way, you know, how is God going to do that? The only way is that he'll go outside of what we currently, most of the time he takes what we already have and who we already are and he remakes it and he renews it and he sanctifies it and, and uses it for his glory. And so the question is, will you take what you have, who you are, and offer it to God? That's the question. Um, because sometimes, I think, sometimes we, we, we think that the way that he's gonna do that is, is so different than what this model teaches us because what Jesus does is he breaks. He breaks us open. You know, he, he looks at who we really are and, and not the facade we, we put up, all of the warts too, all of the good things and the bad things and the, the rough things in life. He breaks us open. He doesn't waste our hardship, our difficulty. He brings healing, but his healing looks different. It's a deep and lasting work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's this both powerful and con confrontational at times. To get, you know, there are times the Holy Spirit has to get up in our face <laughs> about things. There are other times that he's gentle to comfort and, and to bring us um, wisdom. It's like with my kids, you know, like if my kids do something that I know is not, not good and they can't always see it. And sometimes it just, anybody, any parent any, or grandparent, you know, like it, it can frustrate you to no end when, when you, you can see, you can see the damage that could be done through decisions that are made by our kids. And you can see it and you can explain it and you can try all the, but they have to make their own decisions at some point. Um, but there are approaches that, some approaches work, some approaches don't. It's not always the same approach. Sometimes it's a little harder and firmer. Sometimes it's a little softer. But all, all the time, listen, we have a good father. And whether his voice is some seasons firm and strong and challenging or soft and comfortable, I mean, soft and comforting, it's the, the voice and the direction of a father who loves us, who can see what we can't see all the time and who always wants what's best for us, but also wants to bring his best flourishing about through us. You see, the point is not just that we have a more comfortable life. The point is not that, that, that somehow we just get better. That's not what God wants. He wants us to experience blessing and flourishing. And this comes in the way of Jesus. This is different than the way that the world sees it. And I wish sometimes that God, just as, as my professor in seminary used to say, could hit the God button and just make it easy. You know, God could do that. God could have done that with Jesus. He could have just hit the easy button and skipped the cross. 
But he didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Because he wanted us to be able to relate to our Savior and to know when we walk through those difficult places how to walk. It's a test. He showed us. This story was a test because the disciples would need to remember it in order to endure the things that they would face after Jesus. They weren't ready for that yet. But he was preparing them for it. You see, because we know that humility, humility is the key if we're going to be broken open by God. God God opposes the proud. Interestingly, it doesn't say he opposes the foolishness, the foolish, the ignorant, the simple, the broken, not even the sinner. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this is what we see in Jesus's life. And this is what he was calling the disciples to. Ernest McManus says it this way. Jesus submitted himself to the father, even when it led him to the cross. We are called to do the same. We are to submit our lives to the person of Jesus Christ, to place them in his hands. If we are to live where God lives, we must become as God is. God is holy. And in his holiness chooses to dwell among the humble. This is both the destination and the journey, and perhaps most poignantly, it is also the point of entry. It is humbling ourselves. It is not, God, if you will do this, then I will do this. God, I'll do this as long as you return the favor. That is not humility. Humility says you are God and I am not. And this might turn out well for me and it might not, but I'm gonna do it because I'm gonna be faithful and I'm gonna trust you because you're a good God. And when the circumstances don't add up right away and I don't know how and I don't know if there's enough, I'm still going to do what you call me to do because you are God. I'm gonna humble myself. I'm gonna be given over in service to others. This is what Jesus embodied and most of all in all of scripture, maybe the most beautiful words in Philippians 2 that capture this so well. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why did he do this? Go back to verse six. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is what God blesses. God opposes the proud. He lifts up the humble. He can use your brokenness. He can use your whole life if you offer it to him, but you have to humble yourself and submit yourself to his will. He will bless. and He will break. But listen, when he blesses and when he breaks, he will give to the world in ways that you can't imagine. What does it say? They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. That detail's there for for a reason, friends. There's more than enough. 
There is more than enough when we put our lives in God's hands. Will you pray with me? Lord, in our strength, so often we say there is no way. We limit ourselves by the same old, same way of doing things, of seeing things. Lord, we think that it's in our hands and God, you have certainly called us to take the steps of obedience and to do what is in our power, to be faithful to your mission. But Lord, the only way to fulfill your will in our lives is to submit to your spirit to submit to you, God, to humble ourselves. And so today, that's what we ask, is that you would humble our hearts. Teach us, O oh Lord, your ways. God, guide us in your path. Lord, right now, we humble ourselves by acknowledging that our lives are not our own, that that you are the God of the universe. And if you created everything that is and breathed life into our lungs, then there is no one else worth following. And even when we don't know how and even when all the pieces don't fit and when we try to make sense of things, Lord, we pray that a, a deeper level of intimacy and trust would invade our hearts. I know for some of us right now, that's, that's a struggle and we just want to know, we just want to, and Lord, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to those who like Thomas come and say, Lord, show me the wounds. And you do, you approach us and you will show us and you will reveal yourself to us. And I pray you would do that. But so many others of us, it's just an issue of, of pride. It's just an issue of releasing control and God I pray today that we would do that. We would trust you, that you are good and you are wise beyond anything we could comprehend and that you always want what is best for your kids and you wanna do what's, what's right for the whole world. You wanna bring justice. You wanna make this old, beaten up, broken, harsh world back into the Eden you created in the beginning. And you invite us into that process, that redemptive work. And so God, break us open today. We submit ourselves to you. We repent of the ways that we've turned to ourselves. But God, pour us out just as you did and this miracle, just as you did in the life of Jesus. You've called us to be a church that is poured out for the world. Brokenness and all. Hurts, doubts, questions, and all. May they be redeemed for your good. Grow our trust in you. For you are good and you are faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We 
are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.